Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin a brand new series in the book of Hebrews called The Priceless Treasure of Jesus. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Jesus Priceless. I want you to imagine a Jewish Christian, let's call him Levi. He's living on the outskirts of the city of Rome in the first century. He'd heard the story of Jesus from a Jewish evangelist, and he had come to believe. Jesus, he now knew, was his Messiah, the fulfillment of the longings that had been birthed in him through his synagogue and through the teaching of the Hebrew Scriptures. His conversion had filled his heart with untold joy. The reality of his Savior, who is the hope of the ages, and the longing that the curse of the fall would be reversed, these were all found in his Jewish Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. But the deep spiritual sense of peace that he now experienced had to be balanced against another present reality. There had been a harsh reaction from the wider Jewish community. His own extended family had spoken against his faith in Christ, and soon Levi had been removed from his synagogue. And that still hurt. His own mother had turned against him, and so on the religious feast days, when the Jews celebrated either Passover, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Booths, Levi remembered his rich heritage and that wonderful celebration and tradition that he had lost. It hurt him to think of it. But there was more. In recent days, the emperor, Nero, had targeted Christians in a way they had never experienced before. Yeah, in the past, during the days of Claudius, Jews had been expelled by Rome, but this new attitude from Rome now, directed specifically at the followers of Jesus and not at the Jewish synagogues, while well, that exposed Christian vulnerability. Levi had already been fired from his job, and now he worked at a much reduced rate of pay. It was hard to make ends meet. He and his wife had three children. He had a small apartment, and it was all he could do to just keep things up. And when it seemed it couldn't get worse, he got a note from an old friend in the synagogue. Come home, it had said. Simply renounce Jesus and embrace once again your ancient faith. I mean, after all, we have the same Bible, and you'll regain the friends and family that you've lost. Simply renounce Jesus. Now, look, I've made that story up, but that story I've created is not far from the experience of many early Jewish Christians. You know, in a little while, I'll explain why it is that the book of Hebrews was written for real people, not unlike my imaginary Levi. But if the book of Hebrews was written for him, does the book have anything to say for us? Is the book still relevant today? So let me suggest, therefore, a contemporary scenario. Jeremy was raised in a Christian church. His early memories included Sunday school and church, and he attended kids and youth events and even attended a Christian school for several years. But now he was in university, and he had to face the unpopularity of the Christian message in intellectual circles. Most specifically, that which Christians reveled in, that God had created a man and a woman for the purpose of lifelong intimacy within marriage. And this was what he had cherished. But now, in his university setting, that was called an instrument of oppression. How he wanted to be seen, not as a pariah, but as someone who fit in. The theories of gender identity militated against the biblical teaching of God having created a man and a woman in his image. He was constantly being asked to affirm the new sexual agenda. And even though his home church had seminars on how a Christian might respond, and some of that material was very helpful, it still didn't address the emotional and systematic pressure in the university to conform. 
groups had formed on campus to charge anyone who disagreed with the acceptable way of thinking as someone who was committing hate crimes. Jeremy never knew if he was a brave man, but he, he was about to find out. And in the midst of this pressure, Jeremy found a girl on campus and they got along fine. At first she portrayed herself as a Christian, but, but he soon came to discover that her kind of Christianity was completely in line with the modern way of thinking. And then at one key point, she had simply sent him a note. It said, abandon your fundamentalist church and embrace progressive Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity that doesn't insist on Christ as the only way or insist on some outdated form of sexual morality. You can be a Christian, she said, and embrace all the philosophies of the university. Why make your life so hard? Why not simply give in to a better life? Well, I hope you see what I've tried to do. I've tried to paint two scenarios very different from one another and yet very similar. So what do these two scenarios have in common? You know, to that I must take you, my dear listener, to John chapter 6. In that chapter, Jesus has just given a very difficult teaching. He's told his would-be followers that unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they'll have no life in themselves. But if they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they'll have eternal life. Whoever feeds on me, he says, will live. Verse 60 says that with that, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who, who can accept it? And with that, many of them no longer followed him. It was simply becoming too hard. And with that, Jesus turned to the twelve. You do not want to go away as well, he asks them. Now, there could have been a great many different responses. The disciples could have asked for clarification, or they could have asked him, look, when things get really rough, what are the reasons that you might give us for us to stay? Help us out, they could have said. Tell us that the good days are just ahead. But the twelve say none of that. Simon Peter, the leader of the twelve, answers for them. And let me also suggest he's answering for everyone who remains with Jesus. Peter said in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then to that, which is rather profound, he adds one more item. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So let's get back to the book of Hebrews, because what I've done is given an introduction to this important book. The book of Hebrews is a book written perhaps to a group of Jewish Christians, but perhaps also there were Gentiles among them, who were being tempted to abandon the Christian faith because of persecution and intense hardship and revert back to their former Judaism. And it could be argued, why not? It's harder to be a Christian than we had ever thought. And to that, there might be a number of answers that can be given. But the book of Hebrews answers the question in the only way it can be answered. Before you abandon Jesus, you need to come to terms with just how great a treasure Jesus actually is. If Jesus is not the treasure hidden in a field for which a man or woman will gladly give up all things, then perhaps you should go somewhere else where the cost is not so high. But if, on the other hand, Jesus truly is the pearl of great price, the most valuable thing in existence, then to abandon him would be the greatest act of folly. For if his loving kindness is better than life, then let us abandon life and health and comfort and the praise of men. For if we will not, for his sake, abandon even our own family, we've become fools. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews. But let's step back and get a sense of the book. Among all of the New Testament books, the book of Hebrews is unique. It does not begin as do other New Testament letters with the author identifying himself and then identifying the recipients of the letter. Indeed, let's listen to the first two verses, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. 
Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And with that, the book simply carries on. Indeed, from every manuscript we possess of this book, it does carry a title to the Hebrews, it says. And with that, it launches straight in. Well, the unique characteristic of the book has led a great many people to propose that the book isn't a letter at all, but rather that it's a sermon. And if you think it's too long, you might want to sit down and read it. And I propose that it takes a little less than an hour to read the whole book, which is easily in line with what we might expect from an ancient sermon. And that might be right. It is the manuscript of an early church sermon written by a prophet of God. But who wrote this sermon? You know, and one possibility often propounded is that this is a sermon that was written by the Apostle Paul. And many think so simply because some of the themes that are found in this book simply sound Pauline, like Paul. Another reason is that when this book was first accepted into the canon of the Bible, accepted as inspired, Many thought it should be included in the Bible because it was written by Paul. Now, I, for my part, I have never been convinced that this book is Pauline. I mean, for one, Paul never identifies himself in this book, you know, the way that he does in other letters. And furthermore, there's a line in the book that makes it very difficult to believe that it is from Paul. And here I'm reading and thinking of specifically Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. You know, that verse says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Well, Paul never talked that way. He said he'd never heard of Jesus from other teachers. He said that the resurrected Jesus revealed everything to him. But the author of Hebrews says that he did learn the truths of Jesus from other teachers, and here he means clearly the apostles. And so it seems to me that in order to find the author of the book, we've, we've got to look elsewhere than the Apostle Paul. Back to the Bible Canada's mission is to cover Canada with the gospel and share God's message across all demographic groups. But fulfilling the mandate of this Bible teaching ministry requires a team effort. The ministry fiscal year end is upon us and will conclude on June 30th. This year, we have a faith goal to raise $325,000 by month's end to bring the ministry budget year to a successful close. We're praying for our listeners and partners across the country to join us in reaching this goal. For your consideration this month, ministry friends have come together pledging to match your donation dollar for dollar up to $100,000. So every dollar given will be matched. Your grace will be met with grace. To give today and maximize the impact of your gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We're so blessed beyond words for your kindness. I need to admit that which the early Christian origin admitted. He said, who wrote the epistle of the Hebrews is known to God alone. And that I suppose is true, but I suspect it's just a bit misleading. A person might read that today and assume that there must be any long list of people who could have written this book. And that's most certainly not the case. 
The New Testament was written by only two groups of people. It was written by the apostles and by the prophets. The apostles were those people that were directly chosen by Jesus, the ones that witnessed his ministry and were directly trained by him. But the prophets, on the other hand, were those individuals who were directly under the ministry of the apostles. And so when we talk about the apostles, well, we think of Matthew and John and Paul and Peter. And when we think of the prophets, we've got to think of John Mark, who is under the tutelage of Peter, or we think of Luke, who is under the tutelage of Paul. I hope you see it. The list of prophets is not endless. And so when it comes to possible authors of Hebrews, there's only a small list. Yeah, it's possible that Paul did write it. I do think that's unlikely, but it's possible. It's possible that Apollos wrote it. At least that's what Martin Luther thought. But I also think that's not likely. It's also possible that either Luke or Silas or Barnabas wrote the book. And for what it's worth, my best guess is that the book was written by Barnabas. Remember, he was a Levite. And that would explain the detailed description that he gives of the Old Testament law and its functions. And remember also his close association both with Paul, but also to the other apostles. Remember also that Barnabas preached alongside of Paul. Now, but as far as I know, there are no possibilities of authorship outside of those that I've just mentioned. Hebrews was written by a prophet who worked alongside of the apostles, who was a recognized spokesman of Jesus. Again, I suspect that the author was none other than Barnabas, but it could have been Silas or it could have been Luke. And what are the recipients of the letter or the sermon? Now, to whom was it written and when did they receive it? Again, we're left to guess. Again, all the early manuscripts bear a clear title to the Hebrews, and that would indicate to me that this was a group of early Christians who were primarily Jewish. Yeah, of course, there would have been some Gentiles among them, and after all, we do know that in the early days that a great many of the converts came from the God-fearer Gentiles who had come to love the God of Israel but had not converted to Judaism. And once these Gentiles came to know that Christ accepted them without the requirements of circumcision or adherence to Jewish dietary laws, they had come to know Jesus as their Messiah with great joy. You know, these were early Christians who were Gentiles who also knew their Old Testament. But it does make sense that the majority of the recipients of the letter of Hebrews were Jewish Christians who, because of the rise of pressure, of persecution, and because of the cost that they were required to pay for their faith, were tempted to revert back to Judaism. It's primarily to these that the book of Hebrews was written. But where do these Christians live? Well, there are two options. One is that they lived within the boundaries of ancient Israel. And the other option is that they lived somewhere in the vicinity of Rome. Now, I believe that they were probably Jewish Christians that lived in the area of Rome because all the Old Testament quotations in this book come from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that seems to fit the Jews outside of Israel. And furthermore, an early Christian leader, a man named Clement of Rome, writing about somewhere AD 95, shows a great deal of familiarity already at that early date of the book of Hebrews. So I assume that these were Jewish Christians somewhere around Rome, and that fits well with Hebrews 13 verse 24. That verse says, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. So that seems to me that believers who once lived in Italy are sending greetings to this church, which I assume was in Italy. Those who once lived in Italy are greeting these believers who I assume are in Italy. That's how they knew each other. But when were these things written? 
Again, even though the book doesn't tell us, we can get some hints. Let's start with Acts 18, 1 and 2. There we read, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So notice this text. At the time when Paul was in Corinth, a great many Jews left Italy because the Roman emperor had ordered Jews in Italy to leave. And that would have occurred in the year AD 49. And one theory has it that the Jews who were expelled from Italy were the ones to whom this letter was written. But another possibility, I think it's a more likely probability, is that the book of Hebrews was written in the AD 60s. By then, the Emperor Nero was beginning a persecution of Christians, and you might remember that both Peter and Paul died under these persecutions. And the news of this may well have shaken the Christian community of Italy so that reverting to Judaism seemed like a shelter or a safety against the coming storm. Well, at any rate, almost all scholars agree that the book was written before A.D. 70. See, in that year, the Romans burned the Jewish temple to the ground. So it's reason that if the writer of Hebrews had written after A.D. 70, while his argument that the sacrifices and offerings made in the temple were no longer necessary, well, that would have been a moot point. I mean, after all, the temple had been destroyed. And so we can say with, I think, a great deal of certainty that this letter is written to Jewish believers, probably in Italy, who were facing persecution and who were tempted to abandon Christ for the sake of worldly or earthly safety. They were evaluating whether the price to be paid for following Christ was worth it. And as I've said, that's a contemporary question as well. Whether the pressures in the West to embrace the new sexual politic or the pressure in other places in the world to avoid prison or social ostracism, the question is always the same. Just how valuable is Jesus? Would you, for the sake of Christ, gladly forfeit all earthly joys so that you might be found in him? Can we outline the book? Now, this series on Hebrews will cover the first four chapters in three weeks. Those four chapters deal with the superiority of the person of Christ over everyone. That's what we're going to deal with. Then, very broadly speaking, chapters 5 through 10 deal with the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus over the Old Testament priests. Then, from the rest of the book, chapter 11 to chapter 13, Hebrews deals with practical application. And so that's a very basic and rudimentary outline. But let's get back to the very first two verses of this book in the way in which it begins. I am here again reading Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So this is a word that would have been meaningful to hard-pressed Jewish Christians, and it's meaningful for us today. Look at those two words that form the center of that sentence. They're the two words, God spoke. In a world where I sometimes hear people speaking about God as if he were a hypothesis, this marvelous book begins with a note of certitude. God spoke. He's not been silent, he's been speaking. Now, the modern world is a world that lacks certainty. I mean, after all, if you can't even tell your own gender, how can you tell anything with certainty? People have called our age the post-truth era, that we as a culture have come to agree with Pontius Pilate. I hope you remember what he said. Jesus said to him, all on the side of truth listen to my voice, to which Pilate answered, what is truth? He'd never known it. He knew politics. He knew military power. 
He knew how to suppress annoying and dangerous voices, but truth, he knew nothing about that. And in an age of confusion and lies and of power politics and of intimidation comes a word. God has spoken. There's a point of certitude. The Creator has spoken to the crowd of His creation. So when did that occur? Hebrew says, long ago. It means that what God has spoken has been recorded in an ancient book, the Bible. And as we're going to see, the book of Hebrews will quote the First Testament over and over again. But when it does, it always does so knowing with certainty what it is quoting. In Hebrews 2.12, for example, when the author is quoting Psalm 22, he attributes that quote as having been inspired by none other than Jesus himself. And then in Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, when quoting Psalm 95, the author says, as the Holy Spirit says. See, there's no doubt, says Hebrews. God has spoken in the past. He's spoken the revelation of the first 39 books that make up our First Testament. And that means that what God said in ancient times past still stands. The shifting appetites of cultural acceptability come and go. But God has spoken, and even though it was in ancient times, it's relevant today. And if you want a place to stand, and if you want a place to be assured not to abandon Jesus when it gets tough, you need a starting point. And that's our starting point in this study. God has authoritatively spoken, and His ancient Word still stands today. Thanks for your message, John. We're going to have a great time with this series. Let me ask you, though, do you see a similar theme today with people moving away from their faith because the world seems to be offering something better, something more immediate? Yeah, I think the world does offer something that, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's better. I don't think it is. But here's what I think it is, Ben. I, I think that uh, there are a great many Christians that, you know, to live out your Christian faith today, especially in today's you know, acceptable climate, you know, politically correct, that kind of thing, woke, that language, um, that a lot of people are feeling that if I live out consistently my Christian faith, I'll look like a social pariah, and they don't want to feel that way. They want to be accepted. And so, um, you know, in order to escape that kind of persecution, they're simply saying, you know, I'd rather leave the Christian faith. Now, others, of course, are leaving simply because they're giving in to the temptations of this world, and, and that's another story in and of itself. But these are all reasons that people do leave today. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Priceless Treasure of Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is wrapping up another fiscal year. And what a year it's been. God's blessing on this ministry has been so evident and, and we're humbled to carry out the mission entrusted to Back to the Bible Canada. You can continue to depend upon our daily Bible teaching broadcast with Dr. John and his weekly video series. New print resources have been created to encourage believers in their spiritual walk and more are planned for this upcoming ministry year. But none of these incredible advancements would be possible without the faithful support of our listeners. Your generosity sustains this ministry, and together the gospel is being propelled into every corner of this country and beyond. To offer a gift to support this month's fiscal year-end match campaign, would you visit us at backtothebible.ca 
or call us at 1-800-663-2425.